Hi, this is Michelle Specht. I play Dr. Elise McKenna on Star Trek Continues. Oh my God, I'm totally fangirling right now because I just met Dan Davidson and Bill Smith of the Trek Geeks podcast. Oh my gosh, they are amazing. Show this side of the Alpha Quadrant, your independent Star Trek podcast. Welcome, everyone, to Trek Geeks. We're excited you're here for episode 99. That's right, our last episode in double digits. Next week, we move on to triple digits. We're very excited. I'm your co host, Bill Smith. And uh, joining me, as he normally does, is a man who's been humiliated publicly by Vic Mignogna. A man who has suffered ignominious defeat on the field of play. And by that field, I do mean a putting green. Um, he's the coming up short Dan Davidson. Dan, um, that could be a euphemism, but this time I mean it about golf, buddy. Welcome aboard. Ignominious? Yes. That's, I don't even know what that is. But I think you need to put some cream on it. <laughs> <laughs> God. Episode Niner Niner. Yeah, I said it. You did. <laughs> you did. See, I'm just trying to get away from the whole golf thing. Yeah, or ignominious. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, yeah. uh, well uh, I'm glad to be here with you for this uh, uh, final double-digit episode, like you said, and it's a doozy. It really is. We're excited that uh, this week we get to talk about some some new Star Trek from our Trek family over at Star Trek Continues. It's a very exciting time. And, of course, next week, Dan, we're going to talk about them a whole lot in our mega-sized 100th episode. It's it's a great time. It is a great time. It's a great time to be a Star Trek fan. It's an even greater time to be a Star Trek Continues fan. And if you're a Trek Geeks fan, there's a whole lot of fans in there. Uh, but uh, we're going to give you some awesome Star Trek Continues stuff over the next two weeks, and we are very excited about what uh, is coming up. We are. Next week, um, we'll talk about that a little bit. We, we have a guest host for the episode the lovely and talented Norman Lau from the Fandom Podcast Network. Um, he's going to come in and talk to us, which is kind of a nice change. We turn the tables a little bit. I think that's a little fun. It's kind of like when we do Stump the Geek and then I do Geek the Stump, but on a much better and higher level. It's nothing like that at all because this is actually rewarding. Wow. <laughs> okay. And then, and then we're going to have part one of our, um, I guess we're kind of calling it an audio documentary on our visit to the set for Star Trek Continues, which occurred in November 2015. Is that right? 
That is correct. 2015. Uh, in November, a trip of a lifetime, the two of us went down and were welcomed with open arms by everybody at Star Trek Continues. And we felt that episode 100 would be the perfect time to tell that story. Uh, and it is, it was such a, a, an amazing trip and so much happened that we decided that we're going to break it up into two episodes. So episode 100 will detail the beginnings of the trip and our, our first day on the set, and then sometime down the road, we will conclude with part two of that wonderful, wonderful journey. That's very true. And of course, right in front of us today, Dan, we have episode 99. We're going to talk about the eighth installment of Star Trek Continues, an episode called Still Treads the Shadow. And we're going to speak with the captain himself, Vic Mignogna, later on in this episode. Really? Yeah. Oh my God. I know you're going to get to ask him questions and everything. <laughs> oh my God, it's Vic. I know. Say it right. Say it right. I can't do it that high. Only you guys can do it that high. All right, here we go. Oh my God, it's Vic! It's Vic! <laughs> That's yeah. yeah. Dan's yeah. going to have a fangirl moment in just a bit. But uh, Dan, for now, why don't you try to restrain yourself and tell the folks at home how they can get in touch with us, buddy? All right, on Twitter, Facebook, and Skype. And now on Instagram, <laughs> <laughs> our handle is uh, Trek Geeks. You can send us an email at podcast at trekgeeks.com, or you can call us at 508-784-1701 and leave us a voicemail, or go to speakpipe.com slash trekgeeks and leave us a message there. Also, as always, you can join our official Facebook group, Camp Kittimer. There is tons of great discussion. We lifted the spoiler ban on Still Treads the Shadow this week, so you can talk about the episode there. You're going to get early access to the Trek Geeks podcast as a member of Camp Kittimer. And to join the group, just go over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer. And Heather, Jackie, Dan, or maybe even Bill or myself... We'll let you right in to join in all the fun. But, Bill, it's a very important thing that I have to let you know. And, and my wife is sitting right behind me, so I know she's just going to love this. What's, the, what's that, Dan? Any comments or messages that you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode. Thanks, Dan. That was fantastic. I don't know why your life, wife doesn't like that. I think it's fen phenomenal. Fen phenomenal? Fen phenomenal. It's, uh, like it, it's a new diet supplement. Okay. Yeah. Now, Dan, before we go any further and discuss the events of Still Treads the Shadow, we want to tell everybody right now that if you haven't seen Episode 8 of Star Trek Continues, again, titled Still Treads the Shadow, then you want to stop right now. From here on in, there's going to be nothing but spoilers about this particular episode. We don't want to ruin anything for you, so if you haven't yet seen the episode, please stop here we won't be offended and then come on back when you're done and listen to our take on it and also our discussion with Vic Mignogna which is coming up shortly um, so that's it Dan Bill ep episode 8 buddy <sighs> so when you and I get those links in email it, it's a little bit like racing down the stairs first thing Christmas morning to see exactly what's under the tree. Is that yes, a fair statement? That is a very fair statement. And I have to say that for episode eight, I mean, it was one thing with episode six and seven because we had been on the set. So it was like, it was exciting when we got the links so we could see how everything came together because we saw parts of it being made. But for this one, we had the opportunity to have dinner with Vic uh, back last August after Vegas when he was in Boston. And we discussed aspects of this episode and you and I were like ready to pass out. It was so exciting to hear what was going to be happening in this episode. So when that link came out, it was truly Christmas morning. 
you know, it was kind of funny because at that dinner with Vic, um, which was a fantastic time, there were a lot of laughs, you know, uh, it's just always such a, a great time talking with Vic wherever we are. But, you know, he pretty much said, I'll tell you anything you want to know about this episode. Mm-hmm. And we said, well, we don't want to know too much <laughs> because we want to watch it. Right. <laughs> and I'm glad that we took the the approach that we did because there's so much here in Still Treads the Shadow. Absolutely. I mean, there were some things that he told us that we were just like, oh, my God, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> it was it was that type of, of conversation um, from a fan standpoint. It was just like, you got to be kidding me that this is going to be a continuation of one of the best episodes of TOS. And then to actually see all the things that weren't discussed made it just that much more enjoyable. And it really they have outdone themselves with this episode, I think, on on a lot of levels. Wow, way to um, way to jump straight to the end, buddy. Um, no, <laughs> wow. no, I think you're 100 percent right. Uh-huh. You know, there's they seem to elevate, you know, their game with every story. And now that we know we're coming to the end, it, it you know of, of Star Trek continues. It makes me wonder, wow, you know, what happens from here? Yeah, because already each episode has really kind of, you know been for me it, it, even a little more amazing than the one before it in some fashion. And uh, I just, I'm, I'm stunned. You know, this episode, I, I, I enjoyed a great deal. I loved it. You know, there's, there's so much here, but you know, you figure we got nine, 10, 11 coming and it makes me just drop my jaw because I'm like, Oh man. Yeah. What's it, next? It's going to be uh, a, f- a f- just an amazing final three episodes. And uh, I can't wait because I know that they are pulling out all the stops and they are going to give us something that I don't think we'll ever forget. That's probably true. So Dan, Normally, at this point, we would ask for your uh, Trek Geeks exclusive, patented, trademarked, and um, lead pipe lock three-minute recap of the episode. Are you prepared to do that at this time, my oh, friend? Oh, it's, it's not going to be three minutes. Nope. 2.58, then. No, no. It's probably going to be a little longer. Um, but you have to and with this episode. There's a lot of things that need to be explained, even at a high level. So uh, it's going to be a little longer than that. Um, I'd say no, no longer than 47 minutes, 55 seconds. I'm going to do my best to, to really, you know, button it up. Does that sound great? Good? Uh, yeah. Just let me issue a brief warning. If you're driving right now, <laughs> you might want to pull over maybe recline your seat back a little bit, take a little snooze because Dan's going to talk for quite a while. And wow. I don't, if you're anything like me, you're going to fall asleep. So in the interest of, you know, preventing claims to, you know, um, uh, our lawyers, yeah, I'm like, um, we just we're making that recommendation. Otherwise, Dan, if you are prepared for your spoiler-filled recap, then you may commence, my good friend. Make sure you start that stopwatch because I want to know exactly how it comes in. And begin. The Enterprise is approaching the uninhabited Crisada system investigating a singularity. On board to assist with the investigation is gravitational wave engineer Dr. Ave Sumara, the childhood best friend of Captain Kirk. During their initial approach, the singularity expands and destroys a nearby moon. Scans are indicating a single life form nearby, and everyone is shocked to see the USS Defiant, lost in interphasic space a year ago, behind the debris of the moon, and they're even more shocked to discover that the single life form is on board the thought-to-be-missing starship. Beaming over to the Defiant, Kirk appears confused, as all the bodies that were on the bridge the last time they were on the ship are gone. McCoy asks the captain to get to sickbay as soon as possible, and when he arrives, he's stunned to see the mysterious single survivor, 
He's in cryogenic freeze, and it's a much older version of Captain Kirk himself. Back on the Enterprise, the staff discusses the fact that the Defiant is actually still stuck halfway in interspace, and also theorizes that in interspace, time moves much faster, which explains why Kirk is so much older, approximately 60 years. Older Kirk arrives and greets the crew and learns that he was not abandoned, but somehow the Defiant duplicated, most likely by some kind of divergence field. Our Kirk was rescued, but the other Defiant and Kirk remained in inner space. There was no rescue attempt because the crew believed they had already rescued the captain. And although old Kirk appears to be 60 years older, he surprises the senior staff by telling them that he has been trapped for 217 years, but was in cryo-freeze for most of that time. A Klingon ship enters the system and claims salvage on the Defiant, but before anyone can do a thing, phaser fire disables the battlecruiser and it's sucked into the singularity. The phaser fire came from the unmanned Defiant, and it turns out that the computer system, named Tiberius by Old Kirk, has developed artificial intelligence and will stop at nothing to protect his friend. Tiberius wants Old Kirk returned to his ship and fires on the Enterprise as a warning. Young Kirk orders to return fire, but Old Kirk pleads with him not to, because, quote, the power feeds the dark. He then screams in agony. Old Kirk, New Kirk. You everybody getting confused yet? McCoy takes him to sickbay while Sulu advises the captain that the torpedo compromised the Enterprise's position and the event horizon is expanding. If they move the ship, they're going to be drawn into the black hole. While discussing, while discussing options, Scotty contacts the captain regarding a strange device he found on the Defiant. While in cryo-freeze, Tiberius has been using a subliminal transceiver on Old Kirk to brainwash him and cause him pain whenever he was remembering the dark. Back on the bridge, the crew watches the logs of the other Kirk. They consist of entries from when he was first left behind on the Defiant, and then others as he was growing older and believed his friends had abandoned him. He's defeated, and he's hateful, but Tiberius attempts to comfort him, promising that he would get him home and that it was just a matter of time before doing so. Back in Kirk's quarters, Old Kirk and Dr. McKenna are talking. They quote the poem The Ancient Mariner and how he got a second chance. After telling McKenna how he spent four excruciating months carrying every dead member of the Defiant to the transporter room and beaming them into space, she comforts him by telling him that he survived and has now been given a second chance. Young Kirk arrives and talks with McKenna for a few moments, and then she leaves. He starts talking with old Kirk as he pulls up some childhood photos of he and Dr. Samara. They discuss the old days for a few moments, and then young Kirk bluntly asks, what is Tiberius hiding? It has to be something so terrible that he would program old Kirk to be conditioned not to remember it. Old Kirk does his best to remember, but is struck with another wave of terrible pain. The Defiant then starts to create a warp field and dark matter begins to emanate from the event horizon. Old Kirk explains that there's another black hole on the other side of the portal and that it's thousands of times larger than the one in our reality. If Tiberius uses the Defiant's upgraded engines to get the horizons to merge and get the ship home, that merger will actually cause the destruction of the entire sector. Old Kirk tried to stop Tiberius from starting his plan, but Tiberius cut off life support and ended, pu and ended up putting him in cryo-storage. 
Scotty arrives and advises the captain that he has the Defiance kill code available to shut down Tiberius, but it must be done on the Defiant itself. To distract Tiberius, Kirk decides to play a round of chess with the computer and at the right time unleashes a Trojan virus with a familiar Queen to Queen's level 3 move. This causes the Defiant to go into an auto-diagnostic mode for about an hour, giving Kirk the time he needs for his plan. Kirk believes that the Defiant has the power to close the rift, but it must be done on the other side of the portal. But everyone knows that Tiberius will never do that willingly. Kirk plans to go on board the Defiant, delete the AI of Tiberius, and take the ship into the portal himself to save his crew. Everyone protests the decision, but Kirk's orders will stand. Samara volunteers to go with him, and old Kirk will remain and command the Enterprise. In the transporter room, Kirk says his goodbyes, but when he's distracted, McCoy gives him a hypospray, knocking him out. Old Kirk, as commander of the Enterprise, orders McCoy to subdue his, ordered McCoy to subdue his younger self. He then takes Dr. Samara by the hand, and they both beam over to the Defiant. Over on the Defiant, Old Kirk and Samara watch as dark matter continues to come out of the event horizon and break down the interspatial rift. They know they're running out of time and they start their work, but suddenly Tiberius attempts to stop them by once again shutting down life support. Knowing he has no choice, Old Kirk reluctantly issues the kill command to delete his only friend and companion he's known for over 60 years. With Tiberius destroyed, the Defiant tractors the Enterprise to safety and then turns toward the rift as Old Kirk explains to Avi that the autopilot was destroyed, so he has to stay and seal the rift permanently. She starts to object, but he places a pattern enhancer on her, and the Enterprise beams her to safety. Back on the Enterprise, Samara rushes to the bridge, pleading to be sent back so he won't be alone again. Once Old Kirk is certain that his dear friend is safe on the Enterprise, he says his goodbyes, and pilots the Defiant back into the rift and seals it forever. The ultimate sacrifice from our ultimate captain. Dan, fantastic job, man. You uh, you captured that episode perfectly. Well done. Thanks, buddy. It was, uh, it was good to uh, put together. I enjoyed it very much. What's the time? What's the time? Uh, the time is... Um, uh, who cares about the time? <laughs> um, Seven minutes and change. That's close not bad. to seven thirty. All right. Okay. So, um, yeah, I guess you blew the whole three minute thing out of the water. Great. Now I can't market it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hashtag three minutes. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag three minutes. Yeah. There's a lot here in this episode. Let's start off with you know the concept at a very high level. You know, we we see the elder Kirk. And we see our, you know, the normal timeline Kirk. And then we see a third iteration of Kirk in the artificial intelligence of the Defiant. And it's a really kind of a, a, of a complex relationship here. All, and not just between young Kirk and old Kirk, but old Kirk and Tiberius, and eventually our Kirk and Tiberius. Yeah, it really is. It's, um, it, it's, it's amazing to see how... Being alone with no one but a computer for 60 years, you can get as attached as old Kirk did to Tiberius. He didn't want him to die. I mean, he was in tears 
thinking that when the Trojan virus was released that he was dead. I mean, he said it. Please tell me he's not dead. Right. Uh, it, it, it's really uh, amazing what that loneliness can do to you when you're in a, a non-dimension, so to speak. And it's also very interesting to see how Kirk out-Kirks Tiberius with that chess game um, and then what his uh, eventual plan is to uh, seal the rift for good. Yeah, there's a little bit of some of the classic Kirkisms of him, you know, out talking a computer. Um, you know, th- there's uh, there's some hijinks, if you will, uh, with uh, McCoy and Spock and old Kirk, uh, essentially hypoing younger Kirk. But I-, I think probably the thing that stuck with me the most in this episode were the log entries from the oh. Defiant. You know, you see the progression not only of of Captain Kirk's age, but also his his state of mind. Yes. You know, and how he goes from, ah, I made it. I just restored air. You know, I'm here. They can come get me anytime to, you know, to, to a man who's, who's lonely and angry and on some level bitter. Oh, I think on a lot of levels bitter. It was, it was amazing that scene of those three different log entries. It was great to see those, those spacesuits again. I will say those, those things look great. And, and, uh, it was good to, to tie the Tholian web, um, so, so perfectly there, but I thought that was great from a mind standpoint. You're absolutely correct, but I love the progression or deprogression of Kirk's physical appearance during those scenes where he was just, you could see he was me, he was mad and, and, and very agitated. And then his shoulders were drooping and he was just slumped in the chair, uh, as, as he was doing these log entries. It was really brilliant storytelling. Um, and you, you really got a sense of what it was like for those 60 years to be completely alone, thinking that everyone who were your friends left you there and abandoned you. You know, Vic just did so much in this particular episode, but you know, my hat is off to him. Uh, we obviously have him coming up here shortly, but I think one of the things I appreciated the most was the affectation that Kirk had in the deadly years, you know, where his right arm was always sort of bent at the elbow and, mm-hmm. and almost sort of half clutched, gets repeated in this episode by Vic as sort of that mannerism that, that carries forward. And I think it's, it's very telling about, you know, uh, how he's approached Kirk in this episode. You know, uh, you know, we get some chestnuts like the Queen to Queens level three, and, you know, we get to see a Klingon D7. And, you know, but it's it's little details like that that kind of pushed his performance over the edge. I agree. His performance here... Uh- First of all, and and I'm not I'm not comparing in any way, but it 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 strikes me similarly to what Patrick Stewart did with All Good Things. He, I mean, he was playing yeah. three different time periods. The one thing with that, the one thing that's so amazing with this episode is in All Good Things, those three different time periods were three different time periods. He never interacted with himself, at Picard, an older, younger one. What Vic did here. Um, with all, with not only just old Kirk and young Kirk, but also with the computer, all three of them tied in at the same time was just unbelievable. And to be able to keep all of that straight in his head from scene to scene and where he was in the scenes in the episode when he was filming old Kirk in relation to what young Kirk would be doing, it really is a testament to the crew, the actors, uh, to Judy Burns' incredible writing on this story. It, it really was just amazing and every aspect of, of still treads the shadow. I have to say that right up there with Vic's performance, you know, you have to kind of put on par with that, 
the work by Lisa Hansel and Tim Vitito. Oh man. Um, as the makeup supervisors on Star Trek continues that, um, we're going to talk about this with Vic coming up, but that makeup is just, it's gorgeous. It's flawless. It is, um, you know, we, well, when you hear that there's going to be an old age aspect to, you know, to an episode, you think of the deadly years or you think of, um, what is it? That TNG episode first season, um, arsenal of freedom. Is that, is no, that no, that's not the right. No, that's with the one. Admiral and the, and yeah. the makeup is Admiral just Admiral Mark awful. Jameson. Oh. Yeah, t- too short a season. Yes, yes, yes. And um, how he just, he looks terrible in that. And you see something like this and you're like, man, now that's how you do it. Because it, well, it's just, it's it really is flawless. I keep coming back to that word. And it, it makes this episode, because if that makeup is the slightest bit off, none of this works. I agree, and I'm going to actually mention this to Vic when we talked to him. There was a point where they had a couple close-ups of, of old Kirk. I paused the playback, and I studied the makeup. You can't tell where the makeup lines are. And I'm not exaggerating. You can't see it. It's it's not there. It is just a phenomenal job by Lisa and, and her entire team, Tim, and everyone to do what they did to make it look so great. Even his hands, his hands yeah. had to be, to look aged. And, and it really was, it really was remarkable. Flawless is a perfect word that you've used because th- there's no other description for it. If this was a, uh, a movie, this is best. This is an Academy Award performance by the staff for what they were able to do for this one episode. I think with what they have to work with, it's just phenomenal. You know, we saw Lisa and Tim transform somebody into a Klingon on stage in Vegas this mm-hmm. past summer. And we thought that was cool. Yeah. But I would have loved to have just been a fly on the wall for the, what is it, six hours Ugh. it took for this makeup to be applied. Just yeah. to watch. I would have loved to see a time lapse. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. That would be amazing. Yeah. It was, it was, I just, I, I could sit there. I just love to sit there and watch. We got to do it in Vegas, like you just said a minute ago, to sit in the studio and watch them do this craft and not say a word, just watch it because watching a person transform with what they are working with. It's amazing that it comes out the way it does. They were, it's a phenomenal makeup job. It truly is. Um, uh, we'll get onto one more thing I like before we perhaps talk about maybe something that might not have worked for us. Um, I have to say, I really liked the character of Avi Samara played by Rekha Sharma. I, um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that she's a childhood friend of Kirk's. You know, there was some believability there for me. You know, I'm glad this wasn't somebody that Kirk was just, you know, hot for. Yes, I agree. I thought it was good that they made it kind of clear that they were best friends growing up. Although it was interesting to me how old Kirk was kind of thinking that maybe things had changed. And somehow because Samara was on the Enterprise that the relationship between Kirk and her had changed into a more romantic one. So even though they were best friends growing up, it appears that old Kirk may have had some of those hidden feelings for her. Well, you know, maybe it was a crush type thing. And yes, maybe it's absence makes the heart grow fonder. You know, maybe he kind of always hoped, but you know, you never know. Yep. And a great wardrobe job for Dr. Samara by, uh, by our wonderful friends at STC. Yeah, Ginger Holly and Hannah Baruki. Yeah, and, uh, I know Ginger spent a, a lot of time on this particular costume, yep. and um, it's just it's it's truly gorgeous. It it looks fantastic on the screen, and uh, our hats were off to her too. Dan, is there anything in this episode that didn't really work for you? 
Um, I don't know if didn't work is the right thing. I know that in reading some of the comments that have come out since the spoilers were lifted, some people are saying, oh, there's no action. It's kind of boring. I don't really know if I agree with that. You don't have to have an action-packed Star Trek episode for it to be a successful Star Trek episode. And I think this was great. Uh, Judy Burns actually co-wrote the original Tholian Web. She wrote this continuation story, and it worked. And one of the things that I actually liked best, which is kind of off of topic of what I didn't like, is this story kept the idea of what happened in the Enterprise's Mirror Mirror episode intact. By creating this duplicate, it keeps the story of the Defiant going back in time to the Mirror Universe a valid story in canon. But with that, I will say the idea of it and how it was created with the Divergence field was extremely quick and not really a lot of explanation. So it's kind of a question mark. I would have liked to get a little bit more information of how that was possible. Yeah, and I I think that you know, maybe there was some, you know, suspension of, of disbelief as there is in a lot of Star Trek. I mm-hmm. mean, you figure in second chances, you know, the transporter, thanks to some atmospheric condition on the planet, creates a duplicate Riker. Right. Um, you know, so uh, it, then we deal with interphasic space and, you know, the de- defiance kind of caught in between the two, you know, realms, if you mm-hmm. will. So uh, th- there's a lot. Well, there's just a lot in this episode in general. To me, this is more of a, a white iris style episode mm-hmm. where there's a there's a lot going on, but it just doesn't mean there's phasers and right. explosions and, and fights. Exactly. One of the other things that I'm kind of like, I'd like a, bit, a little bit of better explanation on is since it was just Kirk and just the computer on the Defiant for 200 years, even though a lot of that Kirk was in cryo, right. how did the engines get to be developed so much better so that they could hit warp 15? Um, I'm not sure that just computer software programming would be able to do that. So that's kind of a little bit of a question that I have. It's certainly not something that just kills the episode, but it was a little convenient, maybe is the right word. I don't know. Well, I, I look at it as, you know, as Tiberius evolved, so did Tiberius's ability. Okay. So, you know, I'm sure a lot of that was theoretical, mm-hmm. you know, but a lot of it was also probably, you know, logical in some semblance. And, you know, uh, I'm sure Tiberius did the things Tiberius can do, but he also had a set of hands in Kirk. And True. It's not like Kirk was going anywhere. Yeah, he, yeah, he had a lot of time on his hands. So yeah. I'm sure that Tiberius was doing all kinds of theoretical probability and testing simply just in his own mind, for want of a better phrase. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's how, because like you said, they had 200 years. Yeah. 217 or 18. Kirk couldn't remember. Right. Yeah. Give or take. <laughs> well, Dan, speaking of Kirk, we have the captain himself coming up next. And uh, we're going to ask him some questions about this very fine episode. Oh my God, it's Vic! <laughs> <laughs> Okay, our guest this week needs no introduction, quite simply because uh, we've had the honor of welcoming him to the show more than anyone in the Quadrant. He's the executive producer and creator of Star Trek Continues and, of course, plays Captain Kirk on STC. Mr. Vic Mignana, welcome aboard your fourth visit to the Trek Geeks podcast, man. Oh, my God. Is that possible? (laughs) Has it It really been four times? It it just means I like you a lot more than I like Bill. (laughs) Well, it means I like you a lot, too. Because I, I I graciously turned down a lot of interviews just for time and schedule's sake. But you know what? Like I told you guys before we started, um, you guys have really become 
very dear friends to the the Star Trek Continues family. So it is a, a pleasure always to join you. Well, we love everybody there, and we love the work that everybody does. And people will get to hear some of that next week in our 100th episode. But for now, we're going to talk squarely about your eighth episode of Star Trek Continues, Still Treads the Shadow. And Vic, congratulations on yet another amazing episode, man. Well, thank you guys so much. This one in particular... Uh, you know, every episode we've done has had its its challenges. It's had its particular set of challenges. You know, whether it was a seven and a half foot tall creature, you know, a guy in a rubber suit, um, and the the difficulties of that, or whether it was painting a girl green from head to toe, or whether it was building a new set uh, like the courtroom, uh, any number of challenges. And um, our team has met every one of them with flying colors and this particular episode um is was really challenging for me mm. um just because of of the responsibilities involved with uh playing different characters and uh and also exec producing you know the whole time you know it's good you bring that up because when we last saw you in Boston we uh the three of us had a fantastic dinner and we chatted about your preparation for this Yes. And you do play three very different parts. So what was the toughest part of your preparation for this? Well, I'll be honest with you guys. Um, it was a scheduling nightmare to <clears throat> because old Kirk took five hours Oof. of makeup. Wow. It literally took five hours to put that makeup on. And... Uh, you know that what that means. You know the translation for the layperson out there is that you shoot all of the old Kirk stuff in a scene, and then you have to hold. Basically, you don't change lighting. The other actors don't go anywhere, but suddenly you have to go into makeup for five hours, and presumably they can shoot something else while you're in makeup, and then you come back out as old Kirk. And then you have to pick the scene back up and uh, and shoot it off, you know, with the old Kirk stuff. And that was a challenge in and of itself. And also trying to find the right type of portrayal of old Kirk. You didn't want him to be too crotchety and decrepit and yeah. ancient because there's no way that that young Kirk would, would give him charge of the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's no way that... Yep. That that some old, you know, crotchety, you know, coot who couldn't even hardly walk and sounded like uh, you can't do that um, because you know you don't want to see Captain Kirk like that. You want to see him still hanging on to the vibrance of life and 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 uh, strong in his own way. But at the same time, there was an incredible vulnerability about what he had been through and. Uh, what, how that would take its toll on someone uh, was, was a challenge. And then, you know, I got to send kudos out to Greg Dykstra. <laughs> you know, Greg Dykstra is our dear, dear Pixar friend. He's the guy who played um, Dr. Heath in the Civil War episode. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then he wrote episode six. 
And uh, and he's such an amazing guy. He's such a kind-hearted, amazing, talented guy. And we were visiting. This is so funny. I was visiting Pixar, and we were screening episode six or seven at Pixar. And we were talking about needing to find a double for me. It needed to be somebody who was my basic build and height. And we're talking about it. And suddenly I look over at Greg and I'm like, Greg, stand up. And he stood up and I walked over and stood beside him. And I looked at Lisa Hansel, who was there. And I said, Lisa, are you seeing what I'm seeing? (laughs) And she's like, oh, my God, like under our noses. So Greg graciously agreed to shave his beard. And he has basically salt and pepper hair. Right. So he colored his hair. And got it cut to Kirk style and uh, and even trimmed down a little bit. Worked very, very hard to double as Kirk. So whenever I was young Kirk, he had the, the, the old Kirk wig on and on occasion even had the, uh, the prosthetic pieces on his face. Wow. And then whenever I was old Kirk he would be young Kirk wow. and we would go back and forth, back and forth. And I'll tell you what, talk about a trooper because I asked him to learn the lines because if you're going to be in the scene, like if old Kirk and young Kirk are doing a scene together, somebody has got to be delivering the lines for timings purposes. Right. So Greg deserves like the biggest award the biggest filet mignon steak <laughs> and the largest glass of wine for his commitment uh, to episode eight. Because if you cut it together right, you don't ever really see him. Right. It, and you walk away feeling like there are literally two Kirks on the ship. Yeah, Definitely. It is, it's phenomenal. He doesn't have the guns that you have, though, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you know what was funny, too, is that when that we had – a separate tunic that <laughs> Kirk would wear that was like an XL. Yeah. Yes. So it was all baggy so that it wouldn't look like, wow, uh, old Kirk has still been working out on the Defiant for six <laughs> years. Um, so it looked more baggy and, and like I'd shrunken up a little bit. Mm-hmm. But um, it all worked out and it cut together well. And, uh, you know, the best compliment we could get would be for people to say, I felt like there were two separate people on the ship. Yeah. Like there were two separate characters on the ship. When in reality, it was just me the, all the time and a wonderful Greg Dykstra shooting past his shoulder, shooting over his arm, past his arm, shooting over his head, having him in the background blurry out of focus. Mm-hmm. It's it's flawless. It's just it's just fantastic. I was actually um, I was watching again today in preparation for our discussion, and I noticed that the prologue for this episode comes in at a whopping six minutes and fifteen seconds. Yeah, was that um, is that the longest one that you can recall, and was I that done on purpose? Is. I think it probably is. It certainly wasn't on purpose, mm-hmm. but it was very clear that the climax of the teaser had to be when young Kirk sees old Kirk Mm -hmm. in the cryo tube. I mean, that has to be, that has to be the dun, dun, dun. 
And uh, and so, you know, the way that our wonderful Judy Burns wrote it, uh, that's the way it timed out. And so, it, you know, it just is what it is. It is it is awesome. And actually, speaking of of Judy Burns, uh, we have to offer our congratulations to her for such an incredible story. Yes, uh, and it's it's yes. amazing to me that the co-author of the original series episode, The Tholian Web, wrote this story. Um, is it something that she wrote a while back, uh, or was you know it what? Recent? She pitched this. She pitched this idea to me, probably a year and a half ago. Okay, Mark. Um, oh my gosh, I can't even believe I lost his name. Um, the These Are the Voyages author. Cushman. Mark Cushman introduced me to her and said, she's got a story she'd like to pitch to you. And so we met, had lunch. She told me about the story. I loved the idea of it. Mm-hmm. But I wanted there to be some changes. I wanted it to be streamlined a little bit. She had the Tholians in it. She had a lot of other things originally. And it was a great story. It read as a great story. But as I'm sure you two understand, uh, reading a story and actually producing a story for television are two different things. Sure. Right. So I asked her to make some adjustments, and she did. And then we got together I don't even know when, uh, maybe a year ago, maybe less, and we had a read-through. We met her and had a read-through at Geek Nation Studios here in L.A., and our beloved Claire Kramer allowed us to, to meet there, and Mark Cushman and, and myself and some of our other producers and Judy sat down and read her updated script, and we loved it. And uh, And so... At that point, we decided we wanted to make this as episode eight. Wow. Was there um, – After sorry. that, the, uh, the garbage with Axanar took place, and Judy was under the impression that we, that we were not going to be able to make the episode. So I can, I'm very, very happy to report to you. That about three weeks ago or four weeks ago, I called Judy Burns to tell her that we had, in fact, shot and completed the episode. And she was absolutely elated. That's awesome. And she's coming to the premiere uh, in in Dallas. Um, I'm so excited. I even sent her a link to ask her if she wanted to see it ahead of a time ahead of time. And she said, no, I'd love to watch it with the live audience on the big screen. Oh, that's amazing! Wow did uh, did she well, get to I hope? I hope that she's proud of of what we've done with her story because we certainly did everything we could do to you know to to give it all the love in the world that we could give it. Was there anything in the final version of the script that you had to leave out? There were. You know what? There were things, and I will tell you this: the final script that she turned in was it like 70 pages. Oh, wow. Well, that's too long right. for, for a 50-minute, 52-minute television show. And so we had to make a few adjustments here and there. And then when you consider that Star Trek Continues is a nonprofit fan production, in other words, we are at the mercy of our actors 
right. and their schedules. Mm-hmm. And if there was a scene that involved Chekhov or Sulu, but Chekhov and Sulu could not be there on the days that we needed to shoot that scene, then we had to give their part to someone else or we had to cut that part. So we made adjustments solely based upon our budget, what we could feasibly do as a, as a fan production, and what our, what our actor's availability was, and the length of, of the episode that we could conceivably make. And uh, I'm very, very pleased with, with the result. And I, I, I'm fairly confident that, and hopeful that the fans will be as well. Oh, I'm pretty confident as well that that will be definitely be the case. Um, Want to talk makeup with you for oh a minute? We, God, we yeah. touched on it a little bit. Uh, first of all, I got to say, Lisa and her team have yeah. absolutely completely raised the bar on an already phenomenal por- portfolio of work that we've seen yeah. from them in STC. Yes, I actually was studying some scenes of you by freezing. Uh, uh, an image of of old Kirk on the screen, dude. You cannot see any lines of where your skin stops and where the makeup begins. It is no. it is no. unbelievable. No. Um, it, it's it's just amazing. Well, let me tell you about the makeup. Um, when I decided that I wanted to make this episode, Lisa started researching prosthetics, prosthetic pieces. Latex, you know, age pieces that we could apply to my face. And she would send me some and I would say, no, that's too, that's not old enough. Or no, that's a little too scary. But finally she came across some and they are literally, let me think, one, two, three, about four giant pieces that that are applied across the entire face. Around the neck, the chin, the cheeks, and the brow. Mm -hmm. And, uh, And of course, because the hair would be so receded, and thank God, I have plenty of hair still. <laughs> I had to, we had to first, the first thing we did was put on a bald cap. Oh, wow. So I had to wear a bald cap, and then all of these prosthetics were applied, and then blended, and then a wig was applied. And these prosthetic pieces, just to give you some perspective, these are professional prosthetic pieces. And you can't reuse them because as soon as you, as soon as you put them on and then take them off, the edges are, are destroyed. Yeah, wow. And it's the thin, fine edge that allows you to, to, uh, to blend it seamlessly. Mm-hmm. Each one of these sets of prosthetics were $300. Oh, wow. And there were four shooting days of Old Kirk. I didn't want to have to spend $1,200. So there was one night that I literally slept in the makeup. <laughs> they, they applied it, and we shot old Kirk, 
And then I went, and then we all went out to dinner. <laughs> Still wearing the, and we took the wig off because you don't want to mess the hair up. It's a very expensive hairpiece. And then I slept in it, and my darling Michelle, Michelle, <laughs> come in here and tell everybody how you took incriminating videos of me asleep in the hotel room. Yeah, listen to that cackle. Isn't oh that beautiful? God. I couldn't help it. That's great. You guys have got to see him. I'm laying there asleep. Oh, my God. Looking like a dead old coot from the Civil War or something. Bald. Bald and in makeup still. And Michelle, being the my love that she is, pulled out her video camera to shoot video of me laying there asleep. Oh. I only took a few of them. Allegedly. A few minutes is what she means. <laughs> They're amazing. They're but, amazing. It's just to look forward so we know what to expect. That's right. Fun. Right. Yes. You're doing research. Ahead. Yes. That's great. So anyway, um, in order to save money for the production, I actually slept in it one night. And then we came back the first first thing the next day and continued shooting old Kirk. Wow. Um, what else can I tell you about the makeup? Um the one good thing that we could reuse the prosthetics for was whenever I wanted Greg to be face forward on camera. Mm -hmm. For instance, if you look at the scene where old Kirk is having the chess match with Tiberius. Mm -hmm. Yes. And you can see old when young Kirk is having the chess match and you can see old Kirk in the background right over his shoulder. Oh. Facing the Facing the view screen. Well, we we he's far enough away and blurry enough that we had Lisa actually glue on the prosthetics that I had used the day before, which would never hold up in a close-up on on in focus. But she put those on Greg and put the wig on him. And so when you put him out of focus in the background, it works perfectly. I thought that was just fantastic editing. That's awesome. No, that was actually Greg, old Greg, back there standing on the on the upper level of the bridge behind me. And uh, and then again, um, in the uh, in the sick bay, when Kirk is on the intercom in the doorway, and you see old Greg in the background. Uh, writhing in pain that was Greg and then of course when I when I walk over there and the camera follows me over and you just Barely. catch enough of his chin and his cheek and his and you know what I mean yeah. but then when we cut to the close-up it's me that's awesome uh, it's just so great and I will say that Bill and I can neither confirm nor deny that we have seen a picture of you at dinner sipping red wine through a straw <laughs> so that you don't lose that lip piece that you had. <laughs> That's right. Even even the prosthetic makeup of a 92-year-old is not going to keep me from having a glass of wine. Again. <laughs> That's what we learned from that picture. You know what? Real quick, I want to give big, big kudos not only to Lisa. I mean, Lisa and Tim and the makeup team outdid themselves. I would literally fall asleep in the chair. Um, and they would they would work on this, but um, but also, it was a Herculean task to schedule this shoot. Mm -hmm. How in the world you get one guy to play these two roles and preserve the lighting and the sets 
and the setting and the actors and get them all working was an unbelievable challenge. And J- and James Kerwin nice. scheduled this thing. And then Julian Higgins directed the shit out of it mm-hmm. with the understanding that we would have to to have, you know, these these two characters and the cons- the, the, the challenges of the makeup and the like a, a five hour like, you know, they would shoot Spock and McKenna in another setting while I'm in makeup and then come back to the briefing room, you know, and shoot the old Kirk portions of the briefing room of the scene that they shot five hours ago. It, it's it was an amazing, complicated, very complex setup. And I am so, so grateful and in awe of what Lisa and her team and James and Julian did with the scheduling. Without a doubt. You know, Vic, in this episode, you also got to do some voice acting. So you got to use a yeah. little bit of your day job yeah. playing the part of Tiberius. And that must have been awesome yes. for a change. You know what? It was a lot of fun. I I wanted him to have a creepy Hal-like quality. He, that's exactly what I was just going to say. I'm like, it reminded me exactly when we first saw Tiberius. Michael, yeah. A robotic quality. Yeah. So I recorded the lines, and then I sent them to our dearly beloved Ralph Miller. Oh, yes. And I said, Ralph... I want to find something that we can blend in with this to give it a more robotic machine quality. And this is funny. When I went down to mix the episode with Ralph, I drove down to his studio in Seal Beach. And I walked in and I said, okay, what do you have for me with Tiberius? And Ralph said, I got nothing. (laughs) he said he said i know how particular you are vic so i was not about to waste my time (laughs) trying to come up with something just for you to go i don't like it (laughs) so literally he waited until i came down there and and that's what we did the day that i got down there to mix the episode we uh we started looking through plugins and effects, and I would say, okay, you know what? Let's find come some kind of a Cylon type thing, something that's just monotone, and then let's blend it in and add, and then let's add some kind of a delay to it. And what we ended up with works, in my opinion, works very well. Um, it, I was very pleased with what Ralph came up with. Yeah, it, it really is good. It's very menacing, but also um, you can tell he's got a caring, caring quality about about older Kirk. Uh, Absolutely, and he and he and he patterns. I mean, the reason it sounds like Kirk is because that was who he patterned himself after. Right, right. You know, he was a he was a robotic AI incarnation of James Kirk. Well, and there's there's really kind of a complicated dynamic there between the Elder Kirk and Tiberius because not only was he patterned after that Kirk, but you know he wound up being Kirk's companion and his lifeline, and in kind of a way his captor. You yes. know, that scene aboard yes. the Defiant where Elder Kirk issues the kill command is it's incredibly emotional, and Kirk's torment is just visceral. It really is. That I, I you know what I love you guys. <laughs> 
<laughs> I love you guys. Let me let me tell you why. These are things that I have thought about and labored over for these last months in hopes that people would see them and catch them and appreciate them. That was that was a very big part of this is that old Kirk is so torn because Tiberius kept him alive. Yeah. Tiberius was his only friend, his only connection to to sanity kept him alive and 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 was his only companion and his only friend and yet old Tybe, old old kirk had to protect spock and mccoy and the crew of the enterprise and his younger self and and realized that the only way to do that it came down to the only way to do that was to betray his only friend and kill him basically right i mean as as emotional as the samara stuff is at the end i almost find it equally emotional when old kirk shoves that data tape in and kills his only friend. And then there's just that silence. Yes. Yes. And, and old Kirk realizes what he's done and how hard that was. And even young Kirk comes on the communicator and says, you know, I realize how hard that was for you. Yep. Captain. It truly is emotional. There's so many emotional scenes in this episode. You mentioned something a minute ago, and we'll go back to the emotions in just a second. You talked about the Cylons. Beautiful segue, because I wanted to find out, how did uh, Rekha Sharma get involved in this project? Oh, my God. Samara. You know what? I met Rekha Sharma at FedCon last year. Really? Last August in Germany, I met Rekha Sharma, and we hit it off, and I thought, what an adorable engaging, wonderful little girl. And then when we started looking at who we would cast to play Samara, and this is important, you guys. I told Judy Burns, I don't want her to be a love interest. I don't want there to be a romance. I don't want people to even think there was a romantic element Mm -hmm. to this. They're buddies. They're childhood friends. They palled around together when they were kids. There is not a romantic element. Sure, the friendship has has gone by the wayside because they each chose their separate paths. But it was never a romantic thing. And as I was thinking about who I could get, I thought, you know, Reka seemed very much a fan. When I told her about our series, when we were sitting in Germany, having a drink in the lounge together with <laughs> with uh, people from Enterprise, some of the Enterprise cast, we were sitting in, in the lounge having drinks and I was telling her about Star Trek Continues. And she said, wow, I, I loved the original series when I was a kid. I thought, you know, she might be perfect. And I called her and asked her if she'd be interested. 
And she very quickly agreed, and she was perfect. And I'll tell you something else interesting. The character's name used to be something else. I don't even remember what it was, Holloway or something like that. And I called Reka, and I said, Reka, I want you to pick a name for your character, something that is representative of her nationality of her nationality and her ethnicity. And it was actually Reka who came up with the name Avi Samara. Oh, neat. So we changed her name. I don't even remember what her name was wow. in, in the original that, uh, that Judy wrote, but, uh, but it ended up being Avi Samara. That's pretty awesome. Quick question in regards to you talked about the childhood friendship. There's one uh, picture that old Kirk is looking at when he's reminiscing, and it's of of a young Kirk and a young Samara. Are those actual facial images of you and her when you were kids? Yes, most certainly. Nice. I called uh, Reka and I said, I need some photos of you from when you were about 16 or 17. And she sent me a bunch of pictures, and I Photoshopped them into that's her in the uh, flight suit, mm-hmm. holding on to the prop of the front of the plane, right? And that's her in the cockpit with her hair blowing. I mean, and then and then that's me and her from when we were sixteen or seventeen years old, and uh, did the best I could to Photoshop us into a a cornfield. That was great. I'm gonna put that on a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, changing directions for a second. I was really struck by the scene with the uh, the visual logs from the Defiant. Yeah, and it was yeah. it was heartbreaking and it was lonely. And the word I found myself continually coming back to was that it was almost solemn. You know, yeah. you, you totally understand why and how Kirk felt the way he did. You know, this shows a, a progression of Kirk over those years, yeah. both physically and mentally. Was that yeah. particularly hard to prepare for, knowing that you had to portray this character at either end of that spectrum? Yeah, yeah, it was. And I think what was so interesting to me, being such a fan of the original series, was what would it be like for Kirk to watch himself be left behind. Um, I think the the part of it that I felt was so powerful to me was, like I said, was not only that Kirk in in the vis- in the first visual log that Kirk was left on the Defiant, that he was never rescued, right? Like he was in the Tholian web, right. he didn't get rescued. The Enterprise left, and he and he was left there, and what that would be like, but more than that would be, what would it be like for present day Kirk to watch a video recording of himself at the moment he was left behind? Mm. And then to see himself age and lose hope and become bitter and more and more hopeless that uh, that he was going to forever you know spend the rest of his days alone on this ship um, that was the one of the most 
impactful things to me when we were doing it. And to, to, you know, to go and do the three different, you know, we did the soul, we, we did the, the first visual log where I was wearing one of the EVA suits that, that we wore in the first episode. Remember? Yeah. Which was gorgeous. And Sulu. Yeah. When yeah. Sulu and, and, uh, some Simone went out on the sh- ship's hull to, to clean the pieces off. We, we wore one of those again, but I would, we shot that moment and then everybody basically took a break and I went back to makeup <laughs> and then put, and then we aged me a little bit and then I put on a uniform. I mean, Kirk would not walk around for 10 years in that stupid EVA suit. He would find, he would find a tunic and of course he would probably put on a captain's tunic right. from the defiant and, uh, and then Ginger, of course, Ginger Holly is to be applauded because she had to take one of our Kirk tunics and put the Defiant uh, patch on it. Sure. Because it, at that point, it would still fit him. Yes. And then, you know, and then we would shoot the second visual log and then everybody would take a break and go to craft services and eat some food. <laughs> and I would go back to makeup and make me look older still. And then maybe put on a different tunic, and and then we would come back and shoot the final log. It was um, it, it was phenomenal. It you know it it was chilling in a way, and there was um, there's another scene that actually gave me goosebumps, and I I think I can sum it up with two words, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about, and it's four months. Oh my god! When you stop to think that. You know, yeah. one of the first things Kirk did was give every crewman aboard the Defiant a fitting and, and proper burial in space. Yeah. You think of the weight that had on him. It just, it, it literally gave me goosebumps, Vic. It truly did. You know what? I, I have to tell you, because just because it's the truth, I, I added that scene. I felt like I wanted the audience to imagine what it must be like, how traumatic it must be to throw dead bodies over your shoulder mm-hmm. and carry them to the transporter room and beam them into space all day, every day for four months. Wow. And what that, what that must feel like, how traumatic must, how, must that be? And so I added that scene, that that moment, because I wanted Kirk to tell somebody mm-hmm. what it was like to carry them, every one of them, down to the transporter room and be in the space. And Michelle's reaction when you're telling that story is very well done. She yes, does a great well, job with that. She is an amazing actress. And yes. uh, the hardest time I have with Michelle is – picking which thing to use because she she does so many great things you know i'm i'm cutting episode nine right now and there are several great scenes and you know so many options of michelle's performances to choose from they're all everybody's so great she's so awesome but of course everything's my fault if something goes wrong according to her so i got a problem with her Hey Vic, I want to turn um, one one more thing we did want to talk about briefly um, is the special effects for this episode. Yes, 
I'm telling yes. you right now, the shot at the end of the episode when the Defiant actually turns towards yes. the event horizon and comes yes. over the saucer section, that's oh one of the most gorgeous Star Trek scenes I have ever seen. It is just phenomenal. Who does that okay. work? Let's talk about this for a minute, okay? As you and probably your listeners know, Doug Drexler was our enterprise guy for the first six episodes. Well, Doug got a big job on a new series doing VFX, and he was unable to continue doing stuff for us. So we were, you know, we needed to find somebody who knew and got what we were doing. We needed to find somebody who had an enterprise model and they knew how to light it, how to texture it, how to make it move, and how to create shots that felt like original series, but maybe even fourth or fifth season where they started to develop new techniques Mm -hmm. that allowed them to do more than they had done before. And that man's name is Mark Bell. Mark Bell is the most amazing VFX guy I have met. He lives in Ireland. He's in Belfast. And here's the beauty. And here's the God part of this thing. He contacted us. Oh, wow. (laughs) We didn't know him. While we were still working with Doug, Mark contacted us. And you know what Mark did? Mark did the red wave effects in episode six. Oh, nice. Oh, okay. When the red wave came moving through the ship, that was Mark Bell. Wow. And when we were finishing episode six, and I knew that Doug was going to have to take this new job, I said to Mark Bell one day, hey, Mark, do you by any chance have an enterprise model? And he said, I do. And he sent me some pictures of his model and my jaw dropped. And I was like, oh, my God. And then I said to Mark, would you be willing to kind of take over as our VFX supervisor and do our enterprise and our space shots? And he said, I'd be happy to. And right about this time, you guys, the enterprise at the Smithsonian had been restored and it was it was it was um, christened. How shall I put it? It was uh, open to the public, and all of these people, all of these fans, went up there and shot hundreds of extreme close-up, high-resolution images of the original model. I'm talking about little, teeny, tiny screws and brackets and tiny little things that. That you would never know. Well, Mark Bell, being the amazing genius that he is, downloaded all of those reference photos. And he determined in his mind that his model was going to be the most accurate, complex, perfect model of the original Enterprise in existence. Wow. And he did just that. And from episodes 7 into 8, 9, 10, and 11, all of our Enterprise shots and space shots are Mark Bell. 
and he is, and you know what? He has the greatest personality. He has the kindest, most agreeable demeanor. And whenever I say, hey, could you shift the enterprise a little bit to the left? It's, you know, and could you, could you, could you lower the camera just a little bit? So it's a little, you know, a little more of a low angle looking up. He doesn't go, no, Vic, you know, I don't have time for that shit. He goes, sure. Oh yeah, sure, mate. I'll do it. And he's fast. You guys, you don't even understand. Oh yeah. It is, it is unbelievable to have somebody who is good and fast and agreeable. It's really a rare trait. And Mark Bell is the perfect combination of those things. He and I have a great working relationship. In fact, I flew him down to the studio back in February to be there when we finished shooting so that he could come and enjoy the sets and uh, and meet everybody. And he is just worth his weight in dilithium. He really did an amazing job. It's uh, I was I marveled at the visuals in this episode, and yeah, he, uh, he absolutely just killed it. I, I, Dude, I couldn't be happier as a fan. When the defiant fires its defla- its tractor beam at the Enterprise, yes, yeah. it starts pulling it, dragging it off screen. Oh my god, I love that sequence. Was Gorgeous. it just me, or did that have a Star Trek: The Next Generation tractor beam sound to it? It sure did. Oh, man, that's awesome. It sure did because, as I told you guys, I've Getting along. one of our previous interviews, and as I've told people in the past, our goal is to very, very slowly and gently bridge the gap. Mm-hmm. So little things here and there are going to start reminding you of Star Trek The Motion Picture and Wrath of Khan and all the things leading up to Next Gen. Nice. Oh, I heard the Wrath of Khan music cue in this episode, my friend. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was awesome. The only reason I used that piece is because it was literally an homage to the original series. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all they did was use that original. I mean, that was straight out of TOS. Yep. And in that scene where old Kirk is in the sick bay and he's recounting what was happening uh it was the perfect cue and i thought well if only we had more of that creepy meow from the original series and i thought oh my gosh they did that in the wrath of khan yeah so yeah that's awesome well you know vic around this time whenever we have you on we usually ask you if you can tease us about episode nine, and we've reached that juncture this time. So what can you tell us that isn't going to give anything away? Well, what I will tell you is that we have a guest star of galactic proportions Ooh. in episode nine. Ooh. Um, and I will also tell you that we repurposed our planet set for episode nine in a way that will absolutely blow your mind. It is classic TOS and yet it makes use of that planet set that we built that you'll see again in 10, in episode 10. But people would have, would never imagine that it was the same set in classic Star Trek fashion. We can't wait. 
And the, really the story is such a topical, relevant story for today's world in classic Star Trek fashion and uh, some amazing guest stars, amazing guest stars. Well, we can't wait for episode nine. We can't wait for, for the rest of what you have to show us. Vic, you are our friend. We love you. We're going to hear more from you and everybody at Star Trek Continues next week in our 100th episode. But please send everyone our love. And thank you so much for being on the show this week. Absolutely. And you guys are such dear friends of our, of our production. And uh, I will look forward to doing another one of these with you when, when episode 9 and 10 and 11 are released. Absolutely, man. You got it, man. Dan, we're really grateful any time that Vic Mignogna takes some moments out of his incredibly busy and jam-packed schedule to come talk to us on this show. We, um, uh, it's always a great discussion with him. It's, it's always interesting to get his insight into these episodes. And um, I, I think you'll agree that um, he gave us definitely some new perspective on Still Treads of the Shadow. Oh, it's 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 amazing to hear his perspective on anything. But sitting down, and I mean, you can you hear the passion in 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 what he does in his voice, and it's just amazing to talk to him anytime. But what was really cool about tonight? We got a little added extra bonus with Michelle jumping on the mic there and giving us a little. <laughs> oh my God, it's so great to talk to her. We got to uh, we got to get her back on the show again. <laughs> yes, we do. Our, our first guest ever, and. Um, like Vic, she's welcome on the show anytime. We love to talk to them. I gotta say, and 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 I'm gonna—I don't know how to how to word this correctly, so I'll just say it. I was unbelievably touched at the beginning of this interview when we told Vic that he had been on for a record fourth time, and his response blew me away. That you know he politely has to turn down many interviews, but it just shows how much he loves coming on to talk to us. That meant more to me than anything that we discussed tonight. That was amazing. Thanks, Vic. Oh, without a doubt, you know. Um, getting back to the episode for a bit, you know, yeah. we, we talked a little bit before the Vic interview about some of the things we liked and disliked. Let's talk a little bit now about the episode as a whole. I mean, obviously, you know, you and I have not made this a secret. We love this episode. <laughs> yeah, we do. Yeah, it's a good episode. <laughs> it, it's a fantastic episode. As we think about the collection of eight episodes that Star Trek Continues has now, where do you think, and I'm, I'm totally going off the cuff and putting you on the spot, where do you think this one falls for you in the grand scheme of Star Trek Continues? Yeah, that is, uh, that's a good question. Um, as I think about it, the story, I feel the story is absolutely amazing. I feel that the job that everybody did on the set in terms of makeup and acting is, a, is just absolutely amazing. I've heard some people online have, and I don't know if this is the right word when I say complain, about it not there being not enough action in it, but you don't need to have action in an episode to make it a Star Trek episode. This has got to be one of the top three, I think, uh, for the episodes that they've had out of the eight. It was so well done, and the, the ending was so rip your heart out that it stands out there as one of the, as one of the better ones. Definitely top five, and or definitely... Um, Top five and maybe even top three. Interesting. Um, if it, let's say it's top three for a minute, which ones would you put before it? Well, White Iris may be the best one that we've seen so far. 
um, or Lolani. I put those up as maybe two of the best, and it's hard to it can it can fluctuate depending on my mood, which one is my favorite. Um, <laughs> they're such strong stories. They have such strong Star Trek messages in them. Um, so those would be, you know, I off the cuff, and I'm and if I sit down and think about it a little bit more, it might change. But I would put I would put those three right there together. I think I'm in a very similar boat. For me, this is definitely one of my favorites. I would have to say top three. Maybe even if I expand that out a little bit, maybe top four. Because mm-hmm. uh, it depends on how I feel about um, coming out between the dragons on any given day. Yes. As, uh, you know, as we'll hear next week to some degree, I mean, I have a, a unique relationship with this up with, with uh, coming out between the dragons. And it's the only Star Trek Continues episode I've ever watched once. Mm-hmm. So it's only because it's hard for me to watch given my experiences in my life. Right. So, but yeah, definitely Lolani, definitely White Iris. On any given day, Dragons could be three, which would make this one four. But it's definitely for me in the top tier of continues episodes without a doubt. It's amazing that as we talk about this, the more I think about it, these four episodes that you talked about, and Dragons is right up there as well, they're the four out of the eight that have the most drama slash emotional impact and that i think that it's kind of interesting that we think that those four may be rated at the top based on the content now i'm a big mirror universe fan everybody knows that i love fairest of them all it's kind of hard to see where i would put that in the scope of things when looking at those four highly emotional episodes that we talked about you know, I was just thinking about this because we've never really stack ranked the Star Trek Continues episodes before. And I have to preface that by saying any ranking of Star Trek Continues episodes is trying to pick your favorite kid almost because even the last ranked episode is one I really, really like. Absolutely. And that makes it really hard. It's like, well, what would I put in that eighth spot at this point right now? And I I have a hard time answering that. Yeah. It's it's difficult. Um, it's like when we have uh, when we have Jim Morehouse on and we're doing top tens. When you get into that top five, it, it, it any one of them can be. I mean, they're so close together. It's it's hard to come up with a top, especially for STC. I I agree with you on that, man. Yeah, it's different degrees of awesome for different reasons. Right. And, you know, on any given day, it, it could be a different ranking, I would think. It'd be interesting to talk with Jim sometime about ranking continues once they complete the series. That'll be interesting because if it's the top 10, one's going to be left out. <laughs> well, we do the whole series because there's only going to be 11 episodes. Right, right. You know, but um, uh, maybe that's an episode we'll explore at some point. I think that's a good idea. Excellent. Dan, um, that kind of puts a cap on episode number 99. Wow. 99 times now we have thanked the band Five Year Mission. And 99 times we have told people how much we love them and how much we want people to head on out to fiveyearmission.net. Download all their music. You know, they are every ounce of, of music you hear on this podcast we like to think they give us an incredibly unique and vibrant sound. And really, it's an energy. You know, when I listen to this podcast, you know, to, to sort of review my own performance, I still kind of, you know, rock out to the five-year mission stuff. And I hope everyone else does, too. But, uh, yeah, definitely, we want people to become big fans, don't we, Dan? We do. And, and, Bill, you know what? If I've said it once, I've said it 99 times how much we enjoy their music, all their albums, year one, two, three, Spock's brain, trouble with tribbles. They're working on year four, for God's sake. It's going to be awesome. And we cannot wait to hear what they have to say, but 
based on today's discussion, Bill, you would think that this week's Farkism is going to be related to Still Treads the Shadow, wouldn't you? I would have, yes. You would have, but Bill, you would be wrong with that thinking, yeah. Oh. You would be, yeah. No, today we're going to discuss the return to that special place that I love so much, and that's the Mirror Universe. I love it. And thanks to FTC, or Fark Trek Continues, we get to see what happened after the events of Mirror Mirror when the evil version of Five Year Mission returned. What happened? Was Rittenhouse able to start that rebellion against the Empire and defeat the notorious drummer? Well, you're just going to have to tune in to find out. Check it out. Farkest of them all. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> you're actually going to laugh out of that one. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, it only took 99 episodes, jerk. <laughs> uh, 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 I got uh, 99 episodes, but a Fark ain't one. <laughs> With apologies to Jay-Z. That was good. Very nice. Here. Yeah, that was that was actually probably one of my favorite Farkisms. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, well, I appreciate that, man. I'll keep at it. <laughs> well, keep trying, buddy. Someday you'll hit pay dirt. Uh, Dan, we want people to subscribe to the podcast, and especially you know on iTunes because it pretty much dominates the podcast space. So if you're new to Trek Geeks and you're thinking about subscribing, head on over to iTunes.trekgeeks.com. From there, you can subscribe on your iOS device, whether it's iPad or iPhone or whatever, um, and you can download the podcast. It's new every Tuesday. If uh, for some reason you're not using iTunes, you can always go to uh, trekgeeks.com slash podcast and find the platform that is correct for you. Dan, next week, buddy, it is, it is an episode two and a half years in the making, and we are just elated as hell to bring it to people. It is something that we never probably th- even thought possible when we started this incredible journey, man. It's here. Um, like you said, two and a half years, over 100,000 downloads. We have arrived at episode 100, and uh, we couldn't have done it without, without all of our listeners. We are so thankful to them. And next week, we will bring you A Journey to Future's Past, Part 1, the 100th episode of the Trek Geeks podcast. Just hearing it roll off, you know, into the ether like that sounds pretty fantastic. Uh, it's an episode we've worked tirelessly on for several months. Um, we'll warn you now, it is a long episode. It's uh, Dan, I worked on the edit last night, and it was three hours and 14 minutes. That's an epic, I think <laughs> we can easily say. We'll be joined by our, our great friend, Norman Lau, who is actually guest hosting the episode. Uh, we are not the hosts next week. We are the guests. And uh, it's this episode has been a labor of love, and it's something we hope that everyone enjoys next week on Trek Geeks. Dan, of course, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone out to, to head over to tri- the tricordertransmissions.com and um, download the Tricorder Transmissions. Did you know, Dan, that they just hit a double milestone episode? Their 200th episode of Tricorder overall and the 20th episode of Shore Leave. Did you know? I did see that, and just so many congratulations to everybody over there. 200. Man, we're at 100, and we can't believe it. So 200, what a great job over there at the Tricorder Transmissions. And, of course, for Shore Leave with uh, Jeff and, and Heather, congratulations to them. It is awesome. We are so happy that you've hit that big landmark for Shore Leave, and we look forward to a whole lot more so we can talk about conventions over there. Absolutely. And Dan, of course, for all the latest news on everything Star Trek, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode 99. 
Goodbye, double digits. Live long and prosper. Tiberius, coconut to coconut levels three. (laughs) Nice. Bing bong. Bing bong. I'm so excited to talk to you. Yeah, I'm, I'm really thrilled. Yeah, me too, jerk. So. I mean, hi, buddy. Don't, no, that's not how it works. Hi. No. Love you. Nope. I do, I love you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love you too. <laughs> Thanks. Ah. <sighs> So uh, how how you doing? I heard it was quite warm down in the southern area of New Hampshire there, there recently. Uh, not today. Yesterday. Um, it was rainy and cold. Yeah, yesterday it was 91 degrees. Are you serious? I didn't know it was that hot. Yeah, 91. It was 65 here. That's because Maine sucks. <laughs> okay, I'd like to apologize to all our listeners in Maine, especially maybe even the ones that I work with. So thanks for that, pal. I would like to apologize to our listeners in Maine that work with you, primarily because they work with you. <laughs> what a jerk. <laughs> ah! Hi-oh! Hello! I'll be here all week. Actually, no, maybe I won't. <laughs> no, no. It's kind of weird. I'm all alone tonight. The wife is on a business trip. It's just me and the puppies. So your wife is having the time of her life, is what you're saying? Wow. I, I, I can't catch a break with you. No, you really can't. I'm on fire tonight. I wish you were on fire. <laughs> Dare I say, en fuego. <laughs> en fiergre. That's not a word. <laughs> That's not a word. That almost sounded like fieri. <laughs> ah, what are you talking about? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> so right here, right now, on Double D. D- Dan Davidson, you mean? That's right. Okay. Yes. Got to have my own little... Kick to it <laughs> because because that fantastic bag of crap. The <laughs> show is triple D. I know that. Okay, gotta, just checking. I got to bring it down a little bit so it's double D. So so you don't get sued for using his IP. Exactly yeah. because we know what happened. Well, actually, why not? <laughs> Nobody seems to care, even though that they've you know had to settle a lawsuit. Well, the frig. Okay, I'm going to use it anyway. Triple D. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have issues. I was fine until I heard your voice, and then I just get all. You see, no anyone who knows you know that you're like knows that you're like that anyway. It doesn't take me. No, I'm very mellow. Oh, please. Uh, how you doing? Yeah, you're. Yeah, you're the the epitome of mellow. I am. How can I help you with that? I'd be more than happy to assist you in any way possible. Wow! You. So you're Bizarro Dan. <laughs> Yeah, the real one's in the closet over there, all tied up. <laughs> <laughs> it's like an invasion of the body snatchers moment. <laughs> hey, have you seen the new trailer for Thor? I did, and I'm really, eh, I'm kind of met over it. I'm, I was, I'm, I like the idea of Kate Blanchett. 
I like yep. the idea of Jeff Goldblum. I had no idea he was going to be in it. So when they showed him, I was like, ah, the guy from Jurassic Park. And uh, but the the part that I really like was I love I love the CGI with Hulk and what they've done with him. So that was pretty cool. So I um yeah, it, it it seems okay. It seems like the whole movie is a build up to that one fight. You know, like um okay, uh, this so this movie could have just been a half an hour long. Okay, it okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give you okay. All right. I gotta back up a second because I can't even talk right now. Why? Well, uh, if, <laughs> if you'd done that like Joe Pesci, it would have been perfect. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna give you a little bit of our own medicine. It hasn't even been released yet, so don't be bad mouthing it yet. Well, and it's not necessarily that I'm bad mouthing. I'm just not a big fan of Thor. Oh, I oh I love the I love the first one. The first one I thought was it's fantastic. I've I've watched that many times. I watched the first one only because it set up the Avengers and because Kenneth Branagh directed it. Okay. All right. I love that one. Other than that, I could not have cared any less about that movie. I've never been a fan of Loki, even when I read the comics, but uh, I did like the movie very much. I hear uh, ice cubes clinking around. What are you drinking? I've got a tequila. um, Oh, hell. What is it called? Kamikaze. Oh, right. You made those... uh a couple yeah. weekends ago. Yeah, I made one with vodka for the missus, and uh, since I like tequila and my margaritas, I decided to try it with a tequila, and it's very good. And since I don't have any margarita mix tonight, I'm like, oh, I got to record in a few minutes. I can't go to the store, so I just made a kamikaze. No, oh, there you go, buddy. How about you? What are you drinking? I actually am drinking water because I just there got home go. from the gym. <laughs> oh, another fun night at the gym. Oh, uh, it was uh, so... Uh, the gym I go to, I'm happy to plug them because it's dynamic strength and conditioning in Nashville, New Hampshire. Very nice plug. It changed my life. Um, it is the most positive gym environment I've ever been in. The trainers mm-hmm. are amazing. The attendees are amazing. Um, and I'm, I go, uh, on, on strength days and it's a three week circuit and they repeat the same workout for three weeks. So like they repeat Monday's workout and then Wednesday's workout and then Friday's workout for three weeks. Okay. And you increase the reps and or the weights, you know, from week to week. I mean, you're not supposed to go crazy, but, you know, you're supposed to, the idea is to build strength and, you know, at some point you have to challenge yourself. And my younger sister has started going too. So tonight we got to work out together, which was really kind of fun. I saw that. Yeah. So I, um, I did chin-ups for the second time ever today. And I'm here to tell you, I hate chin-ups. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah, not my favorite either. Yeah, so I mean, it's not like I'm Superman here. I mean, I was, uh, I you know, I, I do them with bands. So I mean, I, you know, I'm suspending my body weight essentially on an elastic. Yeah. But the idea is to build that arm strength. Right. Because if I had to do a chin up on my own, I wouldn't be able to. <laughs> but uh, I'm beat. <laughs> I'm that's spent. Okay. That means it's working and it's doing something, and that's what you want. It it really is. My I'm goal is. Oh, thanks, buddy. My goal was just to get stronger. My goal was not to lose weight. But my body composition is is has already completely changed. Nice. And on the scale, I mean, I've only lost 25 pounds, but I've gained muscle too. So 25 pounds is nothing to, you know, scoff at. That's not oh, no. go, that was a scoff. No. <laughs> no, I say that because, I mean, you know, people see me and they're like, oh my God, you must have dropped like 50 pounds. No, it's really only 25. No. So... Um, uh, I feel great, except for right now, I'm just dog-ass tired. Uh, well, you st- you said something about being, it was crazy there, and all of a sudden, I was going to break out into song. Crazy. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, we're going to have enough Aaron Neville coming up next week. <laughs> ah, 
yes, we are. <laughs> so, uh, you you ready to do this? I'm always ready. We, you, you've, you've trained me so well. I'm like a dog. No, dogs actually listen. Uh, what? Exactly. Shut up and let's do this. Okay. <laughs>